Welcome in to what we literally just named about 30 seconds ago, the Life Well Played podcast. We are here at Bay Hill. I'm Amanda Valionis. Joining us, you joined us on Facebook Live earlier in the week, so we had to get you on a podcast to kind of talk about the reaction to the Facebook Live and everything going on this week. Corey Britt, Arnold Palmer's right-hand man for over 30 years, right? Uh, it's been 31 years, that's correct. 31 years. You started working with him when you were 12 years old old and a lot of people asked us during this Facebook live which pretty much has gone viral at this point people that were tuning in a little bit late asking who is this guy giving the tour that knows everything there is to know about Arnold Palmer so maybe let's just start with your background um, how you became the guy that has the adjacent office to Mr. Palmer um, and how that friendship and almost it seems like a a family relationship uh, began it's he's been wonderful Uh, I started working for him when I was 12 years old in Latrobe um, caddying in his club I never really caddied for him there but I would caddy for the other guys in his group. I got to be friends with his professional caddy who caddied for him every day. And uh, so I had a lot of exposure with him through that. And then uh, I had a position open up at his house whenever I turned 16. And he asked me to come over there and cutting grass and running errands for Mrs. Palmer and walking the dog and making sure the copy machine had paper <laughs> in it. All, no, you know, anything they needed to do. And uh, I did it all through high school and college. And then once I graduated from college, Mr. Palmer asked me to stay on. I had no inkling at all that he wanted me to stay I didn't have any business classes I was you know physics and math major um, so he sent me back to school to get all my business and accounting and business law uh, classes and I started learning the business from the ground up he sent me to different companies to spend some time to learn you know the different divisions and uh, and here I am that's amazing so yeah. when you're 12 years old and it, you say all right I want to be a cat now do you say this to your parents or you're, you want to go caddy and you want to get involved with Miss, uh, did you go there specifically because Arnold Palmer? That was his club. Uh, yes, there. That was the probably the closest option, and it was you know, I, I knew even at twelve, Arnold Palmer. I mean, a local hero. My gosh, and have the opportunity to work at his club. I uh, thought that that would be great, and I have to give my parents yeah. and my oldest sister such great credit because there was a lot of drop-offs at seven thirty in the morning. You know, my mom's on the way to the office, and right. then I didn't get a job. You know, wasn't able to get. On on a bag that day and my sister would come pick me up she'd stop what she was doing you know to come get me so there was a lot of back and forth and I couldn't have done it if they hadn't you know been so cooperative and willing to, to drop me off yeah you make it sound easy that you know I got this job at uh, Arnold Palmer's course and yeah. all of a sudden I was on bags in his group yeah. but I'd imagine that had to be a very hot commodity of a position yeah. and a difficult one to even work your way into his group how are you able to do that? I don't know. Like I said, I befriended <laughs> the, the caddy. You know, I've, the one thing, I may not have been the best caddy there, but I was there every day. I was dependable, I guess. I was prompt. Uh, if they needed me, I, you know, they knew that I, I would be there. And one of the things, and I haven't really told anybody this, um, uh, again, to my parents and my sister's credit, um, uh, they asked me if I would work on the driving range, picking the driving range. Sure. And back then, we didn't have the you know the cart where you drove and it automatically picked it up. So you, have you seen those ball pickers? They're like aluminum ball picker with a canvas bag. Yes. Um, I drove around in a golf cart stabbing at golf balls, and that's how I picked the range. And I did that every night. And I had I was the only one who could do it. They like they didn't have a backup. Yeah. And I got paid five dollars. So no matter what we were doing, if we were out at a picnic or something with my family, the time came. My parents would drop me. I'd pick the range for about an hour, 
and they come pick me back up and I got my $5. You have so, to think though that's something that Mr. Palmer saw and he saw how consistent and how reliable you were and maybe that's where the seed was planted that, that this guy could be with us? I think we're on to something because now that I'm thinking of it, you're bringing yeah. that out. Mr. Palmer would hit his balls and they were mixed in with the regular membership balls and it was the caddy's responsibility to separate those out and clean them. Well, I'm sure. figuring what the heck, while I'm doing it, I might as well separate them. Ah. So it saved the caddy a step. His name was Royce Nielsen and he's I give him all the credit in the world is he's the guy who really identified as me being helpful to him sure. and got me on Mr. Palmer's radar, I think. And uh, Yeah. It, that's what it's it was. going above and beyond, even just that one extra step. Right. It's amazing how many doors that can open for you, I right? So right. if there are any kids listening to this podcast, <laughs> if you want to know how you get the foot how you get your foot in the door and something that you're passionate about, mm-hmm. always going above and beyond. Because I'm sure there were a lot of people that if they were in your position there were times that they would have said, "Ugh, I don't want to leave this party right. and go to the driving range and pick mm-hmm. these balls. Oh, I don't want to separate these golf balls because there's already somebody there to do it. But mm-hmm. you kind of saw the value in, in taking that extra step. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So then from there, you, you, you work your way into the inner circle. And then mm-hmm. it, did you have an inkling that Mr. Palmer was maybe taking to you a little bit more than, than maybe other people at the club? to the point where then he asked you to basically be his personal assistant at home, right? You know, I no, I he I would not have an inkling because he treated everybody so well and he was so kind and, you know, courteous to everyone. Yeah. So no, I, I wasn't special. I, he didn't treat me any differently. So I, I really didn't know. But you were special because then he brings you on. And what is your family? Do you come from a family of golfers? I mean, did they understand what was developing at this point now when you're going, okay, well, now I'm just going to be at Mr. Palmer's house every day doing everything that they could possibly ask yeah. from me? Uh, n- no, my family you know, did not golf. Yeah. Um, I think my mom, she was the one who was just the most proud of me. I mean, yeah. she said, you know, she didn't brag. She wasn't that type of person. <laughs> but if there was an opportunity, you know, my son works for Arnie Palmer. And I, I mean, that, that was just, you know, great, great pride for her. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So then you go from that to him telling you, okay, well, now you got to go back to school and learn the business side right. of things, right? right. And yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd assume from there, you now have the understanding that this is going to be what your future and career looks like, right? Right. Right, because that was the one thing I, I remember distinctly. The day that it happened, I was out, you know, working in the garage, getting ready for the day, and he came out of his um, his exercise room was attached to the garage, mm-hmm. and he came out, and that's where his golf cart was, and uh, he asked me what I was up to, and he said, "What are you going to do now?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm going to go into grad school and and all that." And he said, "What do you think about coming to work for me full time uh, now that you're graduating?" And um, and I don't know how I had the wherewithal, and you know, at that age, and that early in the morning I asked him I said uh, is it a job or a career and, wow. he, and he said it's it'll be a career and I said alright I, I don't have to think about it any further So I love job. that you had <laughs> the courage to ask someone uh, <laughs> that. that's part of the great yeah. thing though about being young and not really knowing that you should yeah, have right. been scared right? <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, that's a good point <laughs> oh, uh, that's amazing so yeah. then you go to school and then I'm looking around your office right now which again is just st- it's connected to Mr. Palmer's office mm-hmm. and there are so many memories of you and Mr. Palmer on these walls there are framed pictures that are not even yet hanging on your wall. And when I asked you about them, you said, well, basically your wife said you have enough in the house. (laughs) (laughs) Over here. But I mean, just looking at this and and looking what's, what's on your wall, uh, 
how would you kind of describe the relationship between you two once it became known that you were going to work for him as your career mm-hmm. can you kind of describe the evolution of, of your relationship with with arnold um i think you know and i can't mention mr palmer without mrs palmer sure. i think she was very influential because i i did a lot of work for her when i worked around the house and i can't help but think that she she was more attentive and would have noticed me more and what i was doing mm-hmm. um and maybe you know the type of person i am or my work hours sure. versus versus him and understandably so i mean he's he's out playing golf tournaments and right yeah so um the evolution in working for him, I th- I think you know I spent a lot of time early on with Doc Giffen, who's you know was really Mr. Palmer's right hand man. I yeah. mean confidant. Um, Doc worked for Mr. Palmer for over fifty years. Um, one of the greatest guys I ever met. I love Doc, and um, I spent days in his office just sitting there watching him, and he explained what he did, and he taught me how to write letters. He taught me better English and better grammar than I learned, you know, in college. Yeah. Doc has just, you know, has influenced me so much. Um, so I spent that time with him, and it was basically learning the, the PR side and, you know, how we handle requests and speeches and appearances and, and all that. Um, and then it evolved into on the business side with the licensing. So... Um, we had a, uh, a lady who took care of all of his licensing out of Cleveland. So then I started, you know, when she left, then it, you know, I started doing more in cooperation with what they were doing in Cleveland um, at IMG. And then uh, the catting is probably really where Mr. Palmer and I really, you know, started to bond, bond even more. Yeah. Uh, so in 99 at Bay Hill, this, you know, this was the event. He was in between, you know, he wasn't playing enough to have a full-time caddy so he was hiring some guys here and there and it wasn't always convenient and he couldn't depend on the same guy every time so i just made an offhand suggestion i said i used to caddy why don't i start caddying for you on tour and then that way i can keep you up to speed on what we're doing on the business side you know keep scheduling you know help manage those appearances when you're out and then you know i'll caddy too he says all right great so I started here at 99 at Bay Hill, and then uh, and then my second event was Augusta uh, that year. <laughs> that's so, quite the lineup. <laughs> and that was scary because that's what he told me. He said, well, if you caddy here, you have to caddy at Augusta because I'm, if I'm going to wave this guy off at Bay Hill, then I need somebody at Augusta. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, it's scary enough to be here uh, with all the attention, and particularly because he knows his course so well and caddy, and then knowing that I'd have to go to Augusta is only my second ever, you know, pro tournament to caddy for him. But that's where we really got to, I think our relationship got strengthened because, you know, being out there on the course with them, just spending a lot of time. I mean, heck, walking down the fairway and sharing a Coke with them. I mean, that's, those are the kind of things that, that's, that's just an experience I'll never forget. Absolutely. Okay. So we got to talk about you going to Augusta as a caddy for the first time because, Mm -hmm. Whenever you talk to players who are going to Augusta for the first time, you can just sense how nervous they are, right? And the, and the big things are make sure that you play practice rounds with, with guys that are experienced there. Make sure that you talk to caddies who know how all the, you know, the, the nuances of the greens and everything about this. I'd imagine, did you have to do a ton of preparation the, for this? You know, the, the good news was, and he, he helped me out with that because, one, he knew I was... I was nervous. He <laughs> yeah. knew I was gonna, definitely going to be nervous, and he didn't hold me that same standard that you know other caddies as far as you know having to know the greens and sure. you know knowing you know going and walking the course and knowing exactly where every sprinkler head is. Although I you know I did I spent some you know a lot of time out there, but um, 
he was to the point too in, in his career where it wasn't as important as sure. to you know slopes on greens and all that and my god who knows those greens <laughs> better, say, there's yeah. nothing i could <laughs> tell him you know and uh and even later on, I uh, joke when people ask me, "Oh, you know, how much do you help them when you're out there?" And I said, "I spend my days reading contracts, not greens. So there's no way I'm going to tell him which way that putt is going to go and contradict what he's thinking because, yeah. my gosh, he's he's the expert on that." Was there ever a time that you guys were out there and you said something to him about a yardage or a read and he corrected you? There was <laughs> there was a time I remember it was a senior open and I forget where we were, but it was a par three over water. Mm-hmm. And uh, he picked a club, and I felt it was too much club. So it was pretty pretty bold of me to say, <laughs> you have too much club to go under. He's like, if I go in the water, I'm going to miss the cut. We're done. You know? And uh, my parents were even telling me, they, they commented that um, they were watching it on TV, and they said, well, it seems like all of those caddy are having a bit of a discussion here. And, uh, and he, said, um, he said, you better be right. And he hit it. And it was perfect. I mean, he stuck it. And I was so relieved. And he just <laughs> did as usual. And he just gave me a little wink and handed me the club. And off we went. Oh, but yeah. I just got nervous even listening yeah. to that story <laughs> as to what would happen. But, I mean, that is a really unique relationship. Now, obviously, someone like Phil Mickelson and Bones. We, mm-hmm. we get to hear their conversations mm-hmm. so much now, right, with all the new technology. But we we never really got to hear and see that kind of relationship with, with Arnie up close. What was he like as a player out on the course to someone that was right next to him the whole time. Oh, he was intense. I mean, yeah. he was he took it seriously up until the the very end. So yeah. this wasn't just a ceremonial, casual round when he was out there. Mm-hmm. My yardages had to be right. I had to be right there. I had to be prompt. I mean, everything was very formal whenever he was he was playing. Sure. When we were done. Light, he lightened right up, and we, he had fun out there. I mean, he was known for that, and yeah. you know, interacting with the galleries. But as far as me being a caddy, that was my job right there, and yeah. I couldn't have any other distractions. He he expected that of me. Oh, yeah. I absolutely love that. Are there any stories that you that come to mind when you think of being with Mr. Palmer out on the course that like just top moments uh, of your kind of career with him? It it's tough to narrow down, but I would say probably one of the neatest things in general is he wouldn't hear what people would say kind of after he walked you know walked beyond mm-hmm. but just hearing the admiration that people had you know as they talked to each other because everybody has a story and everybody has an experience and or after he would interact with somebody and then he would move on I would hear their reaction or what they would be saying to the person next to him. Did you see what he did? Or, yeah. you know, oh, look, he talked to my son or something like that. That's what was so priceless, just to to hear how, how admired and rightfully so that he was. And he genuinely, the, the way he appears, appeared to fans and to people he interacted with in public that he didn't know is truly the way he was at home and with his friends and family, right? Absolutely. I mean, same guy. Absolutely. The exact same guy. Yeah. I mean, what you saw out on the golf course is the same guy that, you know, I knew when we were, you know, in the workshop, you know, pulling clubs together. He was just, he was a fun guy. He loved to laugh. He enjoyed people. He was, he's the type of guy, and there, there are different players out there and different guys, but Arnold got his energy from people. Mm-hmm. I mean, even... You know, in the later years where he wasn't feeling very well, um, there were certain events where I was nervous as to how he would perform, how sure. he would appear, 
and he just rose to the occasion because he just sucked in all that energy that those people were pouring out to him and he loved it i yeah. mean wiped them out after the fact but uh and there's some guys where people draw energy from them mm-hmm. and you, you can tell it's a it's a personality thing Absolutely. nothing against anybody but mr palmer above anyone he just got that was his spinach for him you know for oh, popeye yeah i love that yeah. and I, how many would you say fan letters did mr palmer get on a daily let's just go on a daily basis you know what we just did an analysis of this because we're doing you know some stuff with nbc and golf channel this Mm -hmm. weekend um we were talking about how many letters he did so i did uh an average as to how many letters that he sent and on an average he sent out just him uh like 750 letters a year so that's an average of two a day. And then right. we broke that down to about 75% of those were in response to a letter that he received. Mm-hmm. And about 25% were congratulations or somebody got a hole in one or, you know, tour winners. You know, he was known for writing a letter to every every winner of every tour every yeah. week. Yep. Uh, and thank you notes. He was huge on thank you notes. Uh, yeah, I remember hearing that from guys winning on the web.com tour and opening up a letter from Arnold Palmer congratulating them on their web.com tour victory and these guys are thinking oh my god like that you would expect him to be watching the PGA tour we they never expected him to be watching the web.com tour like that and and to really acknowledge them but he was so much about growing the game and I feel like that that was pretty much in line with his personality right absolutely just making people that maybe didn't feel like they were quite where they wanted to be at making them feel like they were just as important as you know anyone else on the PGA Tour. That's right. It, was that his idea to start? When did he start writing those congratulatory letters? How did that come about? Yeah, so we looked at that too, and he would do it um, early on. I want to say early on, maybe 10 years ago. Um, and I, I didn't really look back much further than that. But, you know, to guys that were relevant. So past winners at Bay Hill, you sure. know, he'd, and if they won somewhere else. Or a buddy, you know, Peter Jacobson won. So he was a pal, so he would send those. Um, and then it wasn't until, you know, a few years ago where it became more consistent and, you know, for all the tours. Mm-hmm. And I I can't answer exactly how, what triggered that or why the practice changed, but I know it was a couple of years ago. Absolutely. Now, we had a lot, I mentioned to you, over half a million people um, have looked at this Facebook Live that we did earlier in the week, which is unbelievable, but just speaks to how people just can't get enough. They just want to know so much about Mr. Palmer. I mean, anything, any stories they can hear, they want to know about it. And you brought a lot of his memorabilia from Latrobe here into his office this week at Bay Hill. And we did have a couple questions that we didn't have a chance to answer on the Facebook Live. Figured this would be the perfect platform uh, for us to answer them now. And Jeremy Eisenberg had a great question. He said, Corey, what are the differences in what Mr. Palmer kept in his collection in Orlando versus what he kept in Latrobe? Oh, that's a good, that is a good one. Yeah. Um, actually, that's why I had to bring everything down. Most everything of value and significance um, was up in Latrobe. And the, I think the reason being is his office up there was far more expansive. I mean, it, it was a large, dedicated building, whereas we're in some office space here at Bay Hill. Um, everything was on display there. I think just out of habit just because that was you know his primary home for so many years and that's we have a warehouse full of stuff yeah um you know you all did a nice walkthrough with that with the uh, hashtag chat yeah um so i think that's that's why we had everything there at bail here we do have some things and we want to change that we want to make um uh, we become more conscious of that that we don't have the things that people really want to see and that's 
our primary goal with the memorabilia now to make sure that it's shared, to make sure that people can experience it. Okay. And then Barry Price wanted to know what was Mr. Palmer's most prized possession? I know that without a fact. Okay. There was a fire at his house. After he ushered Kit out of the house and made sure <laughs> she was safe, he would go in and he would grab um, a painting that was given to him by President Eisenhower on his 37th birthday. It's um, a picture of a, a farm scene. Um, and it was a surprise visit that Mrs. Palmer arranged on his 37th birthday, but that was that was a gift, and I know that was his most prized possession. Where is that hanging now? It's uh, up in Latrobe, his uh, old in home. In Latrobe. Latrobe. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then Dean Carlstrom want to know any guess on how many clubs he has in his collection. And I know Hashtag Chad posted a picture from going to the warehouse of, it seemed like wall or like floor to ceiling clubs. Right. I know how many clubs you were know. because I cataloged every one of those clubs. <laughs> so aside from the ones that um, came in, I'd say up until you know I started or I moved down here, um, I would do that in winter projects. So at that time, maybe 15 years ago, yeah, I know that he had uh, 10,000 clubs, um, and 2,000 of those were putters. But he accumulated a lot oh, of wow. putters since then. So I would bet he was up to you know maybe. 12,000 uh, 12, clubs total. Well, uh, 12,000 clubs. Yeah. This begs the question now, now that you just put yourself out there for yeah. the fact that you had a catalog all that. Yes, yeah, so everyone has a sticker on it. Everything's in my computer. Yeah. What is the worst job you've ever had to do for the Palmer family? Oh, my gosh. What's <laughs> the worst job? Um, this is, I mean, this sounds like I'm taking the easy way out. I, I, I hate to paint. I hate to paint. And there was a lot of painting projects because they liked to do a lot of fresh stuff every spring and sure. outside stuff. Uh, painting his pool was a major <laughs> pain. And you'll learn the very first time you don't want to do it on a sunny day because, one, you can't see what, where you're hitting and where you're not. And so once you get out, it's you, you see the mess of you know, where you haven't done it. And also that bowl is just like a big mirror. I was so sunny. Bird, I was fried <laughs> from being in this, you know, in this pool. All the rays reflecting on me. So that was probably my least favorite annual job that I did. Had you do. ever get to the point where you were like, guys, I've been with you for so long. I do so much. Can I just delegate this and hire someone? To <laughs> <finish>? <laughs> no, didn't work that way. Did not work that I, way. I was there for that job. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we have. To, I remember my mom right when Mr. Palmer passed away. My mom called me and said they're golf fanatics. I mm-hmm. mean, my dad and my mom, my grandparents met on a golf course golf is ingrained in my family and my mom said one of her favorite memories was being a part of Army's Army mm-hmm. and, and watching him play with you know going with my dad to tournaments doing these things and I think maybe for those born later maybe picking up the game later following you know all of these great players they may not really understand where Arnie's Army began and for you I mean you had a front row seat how that really evolved and what Arnie's Army maybe meant to Mr. Palmer. Right. Yeah. So the actual term Arnie's Army uh, began at Augusta. So back in the day, um, they would staff uh, the scoreboards and, you know, and the marshals uh, from a local military base. It was Camp Gordon at the time. It's Fort Gordon now. And uh, actually, Doc Giffen was, was stationed there mm. uh, at one point. And coincidentally, so was my father-in-law. Um, so... Anyhow, the uh, the military guys would come in and, and um, help with the uh, help, you know, man the boards and everything. And then also at that time, I mean, the the tournament was not what it is today. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you showed up in a uniform, uh, they let you in for free and um, you know trying to get bodies in there. 
and so it ended up Mr. Palmer won in uh, 58 mm -hmm. so then um, in 59 he had this mass following of all these mil guys in military outfits so one you had like this army of people walking through and there was one guy who was manning the scoreboard who had a sign and said you know I'm a member of Arnie's army and that's how the name caught um a uh, sports writer in uh, in Augusta picked up on it and wrote it, and it perpetuated from there. What was Arnie's reaction to that, though? I mean, when we talked on this Facebook Live, you said the two things he's probably most passionate about outside of golf were was being a pilot right. and supporting the military. Right. So, right. I mean, I'd imagine when he first heard this, he had to have loved it. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And it's something that he's always embraced. I mean, it's a, yeah. it's a phrase. It's, I mean... I look at back at like old letters and things like that and how many times um, it, it came up you know and people writing hey I'm a longtime member of Arnie's army I mean it's ubiquitous with, with Arnold Palmer as uh, the army did he ever talk about it with you did he I mean you would just say it, it was such a cultural thing you know I mean that was just right. something that w was kind of when you talked about Arnold Palmer Arnie's army was not far behind in the conversation mm -hmm. was that ever something that came up in conversation with you guys no he would he was too modest to you know really think about that um i would say he, he he appreciated more than anyone um you know the fans and what they've done for him and so i know he, he had a, a strong strong appreciation for the army but it's not something mm -hmm. that he you know really talked about in that term you know Arnie's sure. army yeah. sure yeah. and then i mean military wise earlier again in the week we had the wounded warriors birdies for the brave club fitting right. and it was fascinating really just to watch this all unfold a couple days ago and realize that this is probably maybe one of the most perfect ways to honor mr palmer's memory i mean everything he loved seemed to be in one place right, right? right. you had we were here at bay hill you had veterans who were picking up the game who loved arnold palmer and i mean just they, they had done so much for our country we had a ser service dog jake here so we had the mm -hmm. dogs in the mix too i mean what ways do you think mr palmer would love i mean he's looking down this week what do you think his thoughts are on the way that everyone's kind of commemorated him already i think he'd be very proud very yeah. proud um you know reflect back on the memorial service and what we did there um to what we're organizing and planning for this week some really nice tributes as far as the you know the statue that went up you know and was unveiled on on saturday um we're gonna i mentioned it before in other places that we're just gonna ensure that his spirit is alive and well and felt here and he's keeping watch over what we're doing and of course um that using that hashtag life well played asking everyone to kind of give their favorite memories about arnold palmer and using that hashtag and really get those arnold palmer stories out there what are the other things that you're really looking forward to hearing from the fans that you said even gave him so much energy uh what are you looking forward to hearing from them um fans always everybody has an arnold palmer story and it's always comes back to an act of kindness and i think people react so much to him because they don't expect him to be that kind and that thoughtful they expect him to be nice sure. but not that nice and that's those are the types of stories that i always enjoy hearing that the impression that he made on people that he spent a few moments longer than what they expected he always always exceeded expectations with his fans absolutely mm -hmm. and so let's talk about the activations so we're, we talked about the life well played hashtag so right. really on facebook twitter instagram wherever people want to share their stories they use that hashtag that's 
going to be seen, right? That would be perfect. Um, and then also using Arnold Palmer official on Facebook, follow Arnold Palmer on Twitter and Arnold Palmer official on Instagram. And then of course we just talked about Arnie's army and it, that is the, now it's become a, a there's a charitable aspect to that now too, right? Right, right. So we have a charitable foundation. Um, it's been in existence for you know two years now, but mm-hmm. really kicking up in earnest now. Um, yep. The tournament has taken over, uh, or it's taken over management of our tournament now, mm-hmm. and it's the primary beneficiary um, of of our tournament. Sure. Um, so. I, no, I misspoke on that. It's the hospital is the primary beneficiary, yep. you know, with the with the foundation uh, driving the tournament. Of course, so people can follow Arnie's Army as well at Arnie's Army Foundation on Facebook, Arnie's Army CF on Twitter and on Instagram. And I know that uh, Callaway's also been involved, and we're doing some really amazing giveaways this week too to really drive traffic to all of those accounts, which of course are all for a good cause. So I think I, I saw that you already have one in your bag. A uh, Toulon Design Latrobe Putter, yes, which that, is a hot commodity. That is a great looking putter. <laughs> uh, when that came across, I said, yes, absolutely, <laughs> we have to do that. So, so. I think uh, Arnold Palmer, I, I was told, actually autographed. One of, there was an, it's an audit has his autograph on it. Correct? Not on the Toulon, but on the Arnold Palmer original putter that yes. Callaway makes. Okay, we do have one of those, and that's going to go to one of our one of our followers. Oh, can, I mean, talk about a priceless type. Yeah, right. I mean, thing that you could have in your collection. So we have the Toulon design putter, a Latrobe putter, um, an Arnold Palmer autograph putter, an Epic driver is being given right. away as well. I mean, all of this great stuff. So you can find every th- all the information about the giveaway. I believe leave on Callaway social media channels and on all those channels that we just mentioned as well. And then I loved what you said about other making sure other little details are being covered this week too, like having Mr. Palmer's cart out on the course during certain times. So can you kind of expand on that? Yeah, we'll do that each each morning. Um, where Mr. Palmer was known to sit. There was uh, a little secluded spot um, over on 16, uh, right off uh, from the tee box. Mm -hmm. So he would be able to watch the guys teeing off on 16, but then he would also be able to watch the second shot uh, on the 18. And it was a good little spot where he could interact with the fans as much. He was behind the ropes. He didn't have to have security there. Uh, He could wave people in, you know, a kid if he wanted to get something signed, and then they would go back. It was just a a great spot to watch some golf and we hung out there quite a bit so that's where we decided to put his cart for the for the week was it difficult to sit down and try to figure out the way that you and everyone that's so close to him wanted to honor him specifically for this week the problem was there were too many ideas we literally started with such a long long list of things that we wanted to do and then we had to narrow it down to what was most meaningful and for this year but the good news is, for next year, we already have that list created. So we right. just refer back, and you know, there's this is going to be an ongoing celebration. This tournament every week, um, it's going to be an ongoing celebration of his life. Every and that year. certainly speaks to how much he did, right? The fact that you guys had such a long list That's right. uh, of what Mr. Palmer had his hand in, and, and the ways that he impacted everybody. That it was almost too much. You're right to cover for just one event. Um, right. You know, 18 green. Having Mr. Palmer there to shake the players' hands, one of probably the most talked about elements of this tournament. Is anyone going to be there behind 18? How are we going to commemorate that? There, there is. Um, you know, with members of the foundation and, and the family there, I, this is one thing that we're really keeping quiet. Okay. And I can't reveal it here, but we have a very, very special surprise um, for 18 for our winner this year. 
oh, uh, I've something got we've, we've been working on. Um, it's really going to be neat. I'm so, I'm very excited. I will say this is the first thing that you've told me I can't tell you, and I'm accepting of that's, that. That's, so we're all just going to have to tune in on Sunday, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> all right, Corey, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, I'm happy to um, do it. It's just been incredible to be here, and thank you for all of your access and letting us really inside the ropes of everything about Mr. Palmer. It's well, been amazing. Callaway has been a huge part of Mr. Palmer's life, too. Um, you know, All the time I spent out caddying and you know in those trailers with the guys, they've always taken such great care of him and uh you folks are just wonderful to be with and i appreciate the relationship well thank we appreciate it as well and uh we look forward to just watching this entire week it's already been amazing and it's and it's only tuesday yeah yeah Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) all right that was Corey brett i'm amanda balionis and this was the one and only life well played podcast